0: copy of the word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms, the Old Testament book of Psalms and Psalm 90, Psalm 90, we are finishing off this, this year strong having an appropriate message as we begin a brand new year, just in a couple of days, you have survived another time around the sun, congratulations, I'm sure many of you worked hard to do so. And it's during this time as we begin to think about a brand new year that time becomes something that that is on our mind. So with that, we want to harness that thought, the thought of time and the time that we have left. And if you wouldn't mind, let's look together in the old testament book of Psalms, Psalm ninety. Psalm 90, and if you wouldn't mind, let's start at verse number one. Psalm 90, in verse one, the Bible says this Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all the generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, return ye children of men. For a thousand years are in thy sight, but are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood, they are as... Sh- uh, as sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourish and it groweth up, and in the evening it is cut down and is withered. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath, and we spend our years as a tale that is told." The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom." Return, O Lord, how long, and let it it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of our Lord, of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of, of Psalm, Psalm 90. And notice with me a phrase that we find in verse 2, where it says, From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And I enjoy very much the studies of the names of God. And we find a very interesting name of God here in... (laughs) old Hebrew, it is El Olem. For those of you who like spelling such things, it is E-L space O-L-A-M-O-L-M. And this means the everlasting God. And with this, we want to study the name of God as it's revealed in the context of this passage, as we see El Olem, the everlasting God. And we understand that we're trusting the God of all time, trusting the God Of old time. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us wisdom and that you would give us discernment, that you would help us to have a good grasp and an understanding of this passage, that we could see in its context and see what you are trying to reveal to us about yourself. And because of how we learn about you and understand you, that we may learn more about ourselves and how we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Again, fill us with your Holy Spirit. You guide and direct me through your precious spirit and your word, that you get your own work accomplished and that you would help these good folks that they have as much responsibility to be spirit-filled listeners as I do to be a spirit-filled preacher. I'm asking that you would help this message matter for eternity because of the decisions that we make in response to you. We love you, Lord. Honor your own self now. You do your work. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 90 is a very interesting book. The reason why it is so interesting, or (laughs) this psalm is so interesting, it is because it is the oldest psalm in all the Bible. It is the oldest psalm, Psalm 90, which is a psalm, a prayer of Moses. So we can understand, we're learning some context now, even the title. This is the oldest psalm and it was written by Moses. In fact, not only is it the oldest psalm, it is one of the oldest pieces of scripture in existence. At the time of this writing, you have the book of Job, which is written, and that's about it. At this time, Genesis is about to be, or in the process of being written, uh, as Moses is getting it from the Lord, the book of Exodus for the most part has already been given. The book of Leviticus has now been given. And so right now you have three books in its entirety. Job, Exodus, and Leviticus. Genesis is in the process of being written and Numbers is in the process of being written. That's it. And so now you have Psalm 90, which is now being put alongside with it, the oldest psalm in the Bible and one of the oldest pieces of Scripture that is now currently in existence. In addition, not only its (laughs) antiquity... But we also have a great interest in its context. Remember that each of these Psalms are not just written as some poetical thing because someone had a homework assignment. It's not written as a poetical thing just because someone was looking at the clouds and thinking about rainbows and, and whatnot. That Psalm 90 is important because of its context. At the time of the writing of Psalm 90, some important events have occurred within the nation of Israel. At this time, the nation of Israel has just been led from the Red Sea. <coughs> Red uh, sorry, led from Egypt to cross the Red Sea. As they crossed the Red Sea, they came and to the wilderness, and there they waited a year outside of Mount Sinai, as God had given them the instructions to the tabernacle, to the temporary dwelling place. God has given the Ten Commandments. He's given the, the plans for the tabernacle. Then they spend a year, about nine months, To build the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is built. The Ten Commandments have given. Now the people are ready to go into the promised land. They go into a city by the name of Kadesh Barnea. And outside of the city of Kadesh Barnea, the people camp and they wait. As they're waiting, God and Moses send 12 spies into the land to go see if the land is ready to be conquered. So they send the 12 spies into the land, and after spending 40 days in the land, they come back. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, give a good report. However, the other 10 spies gave a bad report. They said, yes, it is flowing with milk and honey. And look at the grapes that we had brought with us. And you can imagine, you've seen those pictures of a stuffed pig or a pig on a pike and they carry the, the pig behind them. The grapes were that big that they were dragging those grapes behind. And they were saying it's big, but not only are the grapes big, there's giants in the land. We can't go fight giants. And it discouraged all of the people and so all of the people because of their lack of faith and their lack of trusting in God all started to complain and moan and say we can't go in there we can't do it oh you brought us out here just to die in the wilderness because of their disbelief that God sent a punishment a consequence to them that now stated that anyone at this time that is 20 years or older was going to die. And that for every day that the spies spent into the promised land. Which was 40. They were going to spend a year wandering in the wilderness. And now... <laughs> They were going to spend 40 years and God said anyone that was 20 years old or older was going to pass away before they can go into the promised land. So they were going to restart approximately about 39 years, 38 years to go. (coughs) And so they've already spent one year in the wilderness building the tabernacle, 39 yet to go. And so now if you can imagine, here's the news. Congratulations, everyone, you've ticked off God. Now God has told you that everyone who's 20 years or older, within the next 40 years, you are going to die. In fact, it was such a big deal that from this point on, there is approximately, if you were just to mathematically work things out, 1,000 funerals a day. You see, people are starting to now realize God is serious. And everyone who is 20 years or older at this pronouncement realizes they have a death sentence. You know, there's something about youth is that we think we're going to live forever. You think that we've got plenty of time. But may I tell you that you have less time than what you think? You have less time than what you think. And the the purpose of Psalm 90 was to encourage the people to use the time that they had left wisely. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That you only have a small amount of time left. You need to learn to use that time wisely. You see, when we put this psalm in the context of what is happening, we understand that this becomes a lot more powerful. Because it's not just, hey, you young people who have forever to live, you know, just use your time wisely. It's much different to have some young person who thinks that they're never going to die than someone who has a death sentence upon them. What if you knew you had one year to live? what would you do with that year? If you knew that you had six months to live, what would you do? If you knew that you had 10 years to live, what would you do? You understand when you have a cap on your days, when you have a number applied to your days, those days become a lot more important to you than if you had an infinite number of days left. When there's a number attached to it, you realize that each of those days that you have count. So with that in mind, and knowing that this is the context of what is happening, we see Psalm 90. Now notice something as we begin to dive into it. We could see if you look at Psalm 90 in your Bibles, look right above it, and you could see that it says book number four. Book number four. Why is that there? Well the reason is is because in the book of Psalms there are five divisions in the book of Psalms and these five divisions actually correspond to the five books of Moses. You know the first five books of the Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Inside of the book of Genesis, you have the historical events of how Israel became a nation, starting from creation, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the 12 tribes, and Joseph, and how they came into Egypt. You have that beginnings, the seed form. Then in the book of Leviticus or Exodus, you have the people being delivered from their wanderings, uh, delivered from their bondage, delivered from the oppressor, delivered from the enemy. And then you have the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, we have God giving the law, God giving the instructions, God giving his rules of holiness of how to live. In the book of Numbers, you have the historical part of the wilderness wanderings, taking about 38, 39 years to describe the history as the people are wondering because of their disobedience. They're wondering knowing that they have a death sentence upon them. And then the, the fifth book is the book of Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law where Moses finally gets his chance to preach. And he's giving the people the warning and the encouragement of how to live for the Lord and to make sure they're living for the Lord as they go into the promised land. Well, each of the sections of of Psalms is divided out to match that book. Well, as we notice, Psalm 90 is the first book in book four. What is book four again? Well, it's the fourth book of the Bible, which is Numbers, the wilderness wanderings. Psalm 90 is picked here for the purpose of saying, now that you have to wander these 40 years, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. We need wisdom to use the days that we have wisely because now the people are wandering around. <laughs> this is why it's organized in such a way and why this Psalm 90 is here in this section of Proverbs or Psalms rather. Now as we dive into Psalms, there's a couple things that we want to point out. The very thing we want to point out is the ever Lasting God. The everlasting God. Notice with me in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hath formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. We see this everlasting God. One of the attributes of God, the attributes, is that God is is eternal. That God is everlasting. That God is an eternal God. This phrase everlasting to everlasting is a poetical way of saying from eternity past to eternity future, God is God. That God was God before there was time. God was God after there was time. And God is God while we have time. From Eternity uh, past to eternity future, God is God. That God is everlasting God. He is an eternal God, a self-existing God. That God did not begin. God, in fact, is the one who created time. Now, that's a big deal. You know, sometimes people will come innocently. You may have asked it yourself, where did God come from? And the reason why we ask that question is because we came from somewhere. We had a beginning and you will have an end. It is a definite beginning and a definite end. How do you know I'll have a definite ending and definite begin? Ever go to a gravesite? You have a date, a dash, and another date. A date they started, a date they ended, and all you had was a dash in between. We, we have a beginning. We can't imagine <laughs> something that didn't have a beginning because we had a beginning. It is hard to relate to an everlasting God Why do we say God was everlasting? Because God is the one who created time in the first place. How big is God? God is so big that the beginning of time to the end of time fits in the palm of his hand. That's how big God is. God didn't have a beginning because God is the one who created time. He existed before there was time. He exists after there was time from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. He is a big God. In fact, hold your finger here. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this in just a couple of passages. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Psalm 93. You're in Psalm 90 now. Look at Psalm 93. We're coming back to Psalm 90, but let's just look really quick. Psalm 93. We could see this principle given again. Psalm 93 verse 1. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. Wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also is established that it cannot move. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art (coughs) art from everlasting. Notice with me in Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. This is a very important passage. If you haven't had marked, we'd like to show it to you so you could mark it. Isaiah 26. We have an everlasting God. An everlasting God from eternity future and eternity past and everything in between. God is God. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. So notice with me in verse number 1. Isaiah 26 and verse 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed upon thee? Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Notice verse three. This is a big deal. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace. So a person who trusts in God and puts his trust, complete trust and faith in God, will have perfect peace. That word perfect carries the idea here of being complete or whole. Not partial peace, not eh, kind of peace. Perfect peace, complete peace, whole peace. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Here's the qualifier. How can I have perfect peace when my mind is on God? thinking about him. Why can someone think about God? Why can someone have their trust and confidence in God? Because he trusteth in thee. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, Jehovah is everlasting strength. How is it that we could put our trust in him? (laughs) Because of who God is. Because he is from everlasting, his everlasting strength. What does that mean? Well, because God is an everlasting God, that means he'll never grow old. He'll never grow tired. He'll never retire. He'll never need a vacation. He'll never need a day off. He'll never wake up and be too tired to work. He'll never get to the place where he's unmotivated. God doesn't need coffee. He doesn't need five-hour energy. He doesn't need a pep talk. Why can we trust God? Because God doesn't have a bad day. I can trust God because he is a God of everlasting strength. He will outlast everything and still not grow old. God does not need food. He doesn't need energy. He doesn't need gas. He doesn't need to rest. He doesn't need breaks. And by the way, praise the Lord, we can't bother him where the place where he's aggravated with us. I'm so thankful we can't wear him down. Pestering him, you know, kind of like a child. Come on, please, please, please. Why, 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 why? God is of everlasting strength. I'm so glad that he doesn't wear down. Those who are parents can understand we have finite strength. Our kids can bother us so much where we just step. It's not right, but we say, leave me alone. God doesn't do that to us. He is everlasting strength. That means we could trust in him and we can have perfect peace because of our trust in him because he'll never let us down. He'll never be too busy. He'll never get old, never retire, never need a replacement, never need someone to tag in for him and never grow old. What a wonderful thing. Our God is everlasting strength. That helps me because if I'm having a bad day, God is not. If I'm unmotivated, God is not. If I'm having a hard time, God is not. And I could trust him when I can't trust anyone else. I could trust him when I can't trust anything else. I can trust in him and he'll never let me down. Therefore, I could have perfect peace. You know, there are some people who may be addicted to coffee. What happens when your coffee lets you down? There are some people who trust in sleep. What happens when sleep doesn't come? You know, we could put our trust in things that will fail us and we won't have perfect peace. What happens if the government fails me? What happens when this person I put my dependence upon fails me? What happens when my sleep fails me? God will never fail you. That's why we could trust in him. And when we put our trust in him because we can, we could have perfect peace because we don't have to worry about, is God going to have a bad day? Is God going to be up to it? Is God need a day off? Is he going to be too tired? He is not. He is everlasting strength. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. That is wonderful. Well, turn back to me to Psalm 90. That not only do we have the everlasting God, but in this passage, we also describe a little bit more about God. That not only do we have the everlasting God, but we have the ever-seeing God. The ever-seeing God. Notice with me again in Psalm 90. We talked about the attribute of God that he is everlasting. But let's see something else that we see here. Notice with me in verse number one. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. So we're already talking about that God is from everlasting to everlasting. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth. So before there was mountains, before God formed the earth, God was there. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and saith, return ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Now another attribute of God is that not only is from everlasting to everlasting, he's the everlasting God, but another attribute of God is that he is omnipresent. Omnipresent. Now normally we define, excuse me, we define that attribute of omnipresent is that he is everywhere at once. And that is a true statement. God is everywhere at once. But omnipresent carries a further meaning that he is omnipresent. He is always in the present tense. Because God created time, he is outside of time. That means God does not have a future. And God does not have a past. He is omnipresent. That means he is always in the present tense. God sees all time at once. Now that's pretty amazing and that's something that's beyond our ability because we're stuck in time and not just stuck in time, we're only going one direction in time. We're stuck, we're we're, we're very limited, but God sees all time at once. That means the same time as God is watching this church service right now, he is also watching the children of Israel cross the Red Sea. The same time as he is giving this curse of Kadesh Barnea, he is also watching the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ rules and reigns. You see, it is all present tense with God. There is no future and there is no past. God is outside of time. He sees all time at once. He is ever seeing, he sees it all at once. Now, because we have a hard time understanding this, that the psalmist, Moses, under the inspiration of God, is trying to explain a concept like God is omnipresent once in terms that people can understand. And so with that, he uses a poetical language written from our perspective to try to understand this. Notice with me in verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. Let's pause. Some people mistakenly teach that This is a period that a thousand years is one day. So when you see one day in the Old Testament Genesis, that means a thousand. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that for for us, a thousand years to go by and it's at no time at all to God. It's a poetical way of trying to get from our perspective to try to understand that God is outside of time. That we could... A thousand years seems a long time to us, but to God, He's seeing it all at once. It's nothing to Him. It's, it's, it's there. A thousand years are in thy sight, or is but yesterday when it is past, as a watch in the night. In the world, in the ancient world, even today, there are four watches of the night. It's a two hour period. And so if there was a bunch of people that were traveling together or there was a bunch of people on the flock, they would take watches, two hour shifts where they would watch over the camp and let, uh, make sure there was nothing to come invade them. They would try to have a good perception about what was going on to make sure nothing could sneak up upon them. <coughs> but they would, um, but a watch would be there and then it'd be done. Okay. My watch is over. I go back to sleep. It's there and it's done. That's what it's saying is that for God, he's watching time and looking at our perspective, it's like nothing to God. Notice it carries on more poetical language from a man's perspective to try to understand God in time in verse number five. Thou hast carries them away as with a flood. There is a sleep (laughs) in the morning. (laughs) Sleep in the morning. There is grass when they grow up. So notice this. There is like a sleep. Have you ever woke up in the morning from an intense dream. And then when you woke up, that dream began to fade rapidly. You know what? That's like our life. It's boom, it's gone. But from God's uh, point of view, he's from everlasting, to everlasting. He never stops. You think about our lifespan compared to an everlasting God. It's like a drop in the bucket. It's it's gone. It's like a dream and immediately fades away. Here he gives us like grass, which groweth up in the morning, it flourisheth. It groweth up in the evening, it is cut down and withered. That's kind of what our life, that you wake up in the morning in the spring and look all the dandelions and then you send the kids out to go mow it. It's gone. They're gone. That's what our life is. It's like a vapor. It's like grass. It's there and it's gone. What God is trying to do in this passage is trying to say, whereas God is from everlasting to everlasting, our life is small. It is short. It is very distant. We have a limited amount of time. In fact, going back to the context of Kadesh Barnea verse seven, for we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath, we are troubled. Well, when you start having a thousand funerals a day, you very much are living that life is very short. Verse eight, for we have set our iniquities before thee. Our secret sins are in the light of thy countenance. Once again, God sees everything. There are sins that may be even hidden from us, but God sees it all. God sees everything for our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Think about this, we've studied history. Even the most famous people when we go through our world history books gets a line or a paragraph. Sometimes you may get a report or maybe there's someone famous enough that they get a book. But you think about an entire lifetime written in a book, a paper, a paragraph, an asterisk. All of that life summed up that way. We're like a tale that was told. It's like a fairy tale. I mean, you think about George Washington. I'm assuming no one in here has ever met George Washington personally. Some of you may have gotten close, but (laughs) none of you have met George Washington. He's like a fairy tale. We read about him. He's like Uh, any other story. We uh, acknowledge that that history is true, but it's like a tale now. We tell the stories of George Washington. The days of our years are three score years and ten. Now remember, a score is 20, so think about this the days of our year are three score years so 3 times 20 is 60 60 years and 10 so that's 70 and if it be reason of strength they be four score years or 80 years yet there is strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut away and we fly away so he says you know even if you had a full life and you live to your 60s to your 70s to your 80s and you're living a very fulfilled life Guess what your life is categorized? You have strength, you have labor, and you have sorrow. We have good days, we have working days, and we have sorrowful days. And then it's gone. It's it. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. You say, preacher, this isn't very encouraging yet. Stay with me. We have to go to the reality that we're time, but God sees everything. He knows everything about our life. And he is a God who never goes tired. We can trust him and we can depend upon him. Which now brings us to one thing here, the effects of time upon us. The effects of time upon us. Notice with me in verse 12. So, that word so is a, is a connective word that because of everything that we taught, because we have an everlasting God who lives from uh, time before there was time and after there was time and during there's time there's God and this God who created time sees all God at uh, all time at once. He's an omnipresent God. So because of this, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Because we realize that you only have a small amount of time left, we need to use our time wisely. In fact, if you are writing things down, if you have access to a pen or pencil or paper, do this for me. I want you to take that pen and paper, and I want you to write a line. For those in geometry, a line segment, not a ray. Good. So (laughs) I want you to write a line segment. And this line segment represents your life. So do this, if you wouldn't mind. You have a beginning point. That's the beginning of the line. And you have a definite end point. There's a time when your life will end. And somewhere along that line, you are currently there. Now, some of you might be young and may think you're at the beginning of the line. Some of you may feel like you're long in the tooth and you're at the end of the line. Some of you may be uh, hopeful and you think you're at the middle of the line. And some of you might be really hopeful and think you're still at the beginning of the line. But somewhere on that line you are currently at, if you don't mind, if you've drawn that line, I want you to put an X somewhere along that line where you think you may be at. So do that if you wouldn't mind. So you have a beginning, you have an end. Somewhere along that line you are currently at, put an X there. Some of you might be in the middle, some at the end, maybe some of you at the beginning, but you're somewhere on that. Now, as a reminder, anything to the you have the left where you start, and then you have the right where you end. Everything to the left of that X, you can't do anything about. It's already passed. It's gone. The only thing that you can do and worry about and concern yourself about is what's on the right side of that X. Anywhere between the X to the end of the line is all that you have left. You have only a certain amount of days left. The Bible says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now with this, let me teach you a different principle we do not live our lives year by year. We, teach, we live our lives day by day. It is not how many years you live that makes a life worth living. What makes your life worth living is what you do with each of those days. You guys remember the old kindergarten days, first grade days, where you made a uh, necklace out of Cheerios or some sort of f- snack. And you'd put them on one by one. And it was complete when you had a string full of Cheerios or Fruit Loops or whatever you use. You remember that, right? What made it complete is what you used on that days. It was a good chain if you used something that you liked. If there was something you didn't like, well, then it wouldn't make it worth it. What made it worth it is that if it had something that you used that you enjoyed, that you had. If you had just broccoli and Brussels sprouts on it, and that's what your chain was made of, you may not enjoy that thing you made. You guys understand the illustration. So what makes your life worth living is not how long you live. We know old people who are miserable. And we know people who have died young who have had a fulfilled life. Because it is not how long you live, it is what you do with each of those days. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now, the object lesson. Up here, I have three jars. This is something I started years ago that I think would be an encouragement to you. In the middle jar, in the white jar, years ago I did a quick calculation about how many days I may have left. Now that may be hopeful, but I did it about average from where I was at at the time to about 80 years old, I think is what I put it. So, So I had approximately 40 years worth of days in that jar. Now what I do at the end of each day, I will take my days, I have three days to put in there, and I determine did I use my day wisely? Meaning that did I use it the way that I was supposed to? Now we've all had days that we lived in the flesh, that I didn't want to do anything, I wasn't motivated, I was in the flesh and just gave in to the cravings and I was grumpy and mean and whatever else. I wasted that day. Or I can have a day where I used it wisely that I did what I was supposed to. I tried to live it for the Lord. Now, let me put a thing. Just because I take a day off doesn't mean I wasted my day. There are days that God wants me to rest. If I spend time with my family, that's not wasting my day. God-given priorities never conflict. All I'm supposed to get accomplished in one day's time is what God has given me to do. If God has given me to spend time with my family, that's not a wasted day. Okay, so we're not talking about how much I get accomplished. It's did I do what I was supposed to do? So if I take a vacation and go with my family on a trip and we go to some amusement park, I did not waste my day. So I'm just defining terms. What, what do we mean by wasting? Wasted days are the days that I purposely spent grumpy and yelled at my family made them miserable and nobody wanted to be around me and I was disobedient to the Lord and I didn't do what I was supposed to. God had given me things to do and I just refused. And you know, we've, we do have days like that. And so what happens at the end of each day that I use wisely, I put in the blue jar. And any day that I used wrongly, I put in the red jar. And after each day, I put them in there. I needed to put three days anyway. So, And what's, what's going to show is over time, is my life worth living? How can I tell if my life was worth living? Not because I necessarily feel so, though I'm glad for feelings. It's, did I use my day wisely? In fact, I hope to keep this going till the end of my life so much that we have the funeral. Did he have a life worth living? Yes, because we could see what he did with those days. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. You know, there's always something that when we think that we have too much of something, we waste it. If you have too much money, you waste it. If you have too much time, you waste it. But when you realize that you don't have as many days as you may think you do, you end up stop wasting days. You realize that every day matters and every day counts. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now, whereas you may not want to set up jars in your home. I actually have a matching set at home as well as my office, just in case. But um, it's a good reminder. I see this every day. And I, it's a reminder to me to t- make my days count. Am I using my days wisely? I offer to make jars for a lot of people, unfortunately, or whatever. Nobody's taking me up on that. They're like, no, no never mind. But well, you know, there's something practical and visual. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That a life worth living matters about what do you do with the days that you have. You can have a life worth living. Now, again, you can't do anything on the left side of that X. All you could do is use the days that you have left wisely. Which is the whole point of this psalm, speaking to people who now have a death sentence on them. Within the next 40 years, you will be dead. What are you going to do with your life? Now, you don't know how long you will live, and I don't know how long I can live. I can go home now and get in an accident. I can have an aneurysm tomorrow. We don't know how long we have. We understand that. Our life is led a vapor. All I can do is use the days that I have left and use them wisely. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Do you know that this is also a New Testament um, principle? In fact, hold your finger here. We're coming back to Psalm 90. But look with me in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians in chapter number 5. The book of Ephesians in chapter number 5. And let's see the New Testament give this same principle in the book of Ephesians in chapter number 5. What are you doing with your days? Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. (coughs) Ephesians chapter number 5, and notice with me in verse number 16. Verse number 15 actually. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly. This idea means to be careful, to be wise, to understanding what you're doing. See that you walk then circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. Now we've been talking about this. Meaning that you need to walk not foolishly, not using your days foolishly, not using days that are wasted. But instead, we're supposed to walk circumspectly as wise. Why? Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word redeeming means to buy back. That means that I am to buy back and use wisely each day that I have. I'm to take advantage of the day. You know, you could take a day and let it go to waste. So just imagine you were given $24,000 every day. And at the end of every day, whatever money you had left would be taken away, whatever you didn't spend. And so every day you got $24,000. What would you do if you knew that you're having $24,000 and you had to use that money that day? Would you waste it? Would you throw it away? Would you invest in it? Would you do something with it? Well, every one of us get 24 hours a day and that's more valuable than money. What do you do with your time? To redeem the time. To buy it back. To make it count. To make it matter. That we're supposed to use it circumspectly. Not as fools but as wise. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. That's a poetical way of saying our time is short. You don't have long to live. We all have an expiration date like milk. Milk. You may try to go past it, but it's not going to go well. You, you have a limited amount of time. We're to use the time that we have wisely. So teach us to number our days that we may apply it to wisdom. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now turn back with me to Psalm 90 as we see the application. How should we respond to the God of time, to this everlasting God, to the God who lives from everlasting to everlasting, knowing that he will keep us in perfect peace to those that keep their mind on him because they trust him. What happens when we decide to use our days wisely and let them count? What are the effects that we could have if we're trusting in God? Notice if you don't mind, there are three effects, three results that we find at the end of Psalm 90 that deal with this effects of time upon us. Notice in verse number 14, oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. What's the first principle here? We could trust God to satisfy you. You could trust God to satisfy you. Because he's an everlasting God, he'll never run out. He'll keep us in perfect peace to those that put their mind upon him. Because we trust in him. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy. That we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. You know, when people aren't satisfied, we tend to be grumpy. We tend to desire, we tend to be more in the flesh, but when God satisfies us, we can rejoice. All right, you open the refrigerator and it's full, but it doesn't have what you want because you want is a whopper with cheese, flame broiled the way that you want it. And it doesn't matter what's in your refrigerator, you want something else because you're not satisfied. You're not content. And then what happens? You end up wasting that time and emotions Because now you stare at the refrigerator for a while and then you close it and walk around and open it back up. You you guys do this. I'm not the only one that does this, right? How many of you have done that with a day? I'm not satisfied with my day. I'm not content. I'm just thinking about how I'm so antsy and whatever else. And you're not rejoicing in that day. And you could spend all day in the flesh, all day unsatisfied, all day uncontent, And you end up wasting that whole day. Maybe it was a little bit of pain. Maybe it was discomfort. Maybe you got mad at someone and you just couldn't let it go. And you end up wasting that day, not rejoicing in it. You know, life is too short to spend time mad at people. We need to trust God to satisfy us, that we could rejoice and enjoy that day. Could you imagine if you had your entire life from here on out and you knew that every day you were going to be grumpy and mad at people? Just get rid of me now. Who wants to live that away? We can trust God if we keep our mind on him to satisfy us and make the days that we have worth living. And be able to rejoice and enjoy. I mean, the days that we have left, it doesn't matter how bad they are. We want them to still be able to say, God is good and God is right. I'm glad I'm alive. Amen. We don't want to be wishing we were on the other side of the grave. We could trust God to satisfy if we keep our mind on him. Because we could trust in him. He'll never run out of gas. He'll never get tired. He could take care of us. We could trust him. Notice there's another thing that we could do. Verse 15. Make us glad according to the days. Notice that word days again. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou has afflicted us and the years wherein we've seen, uh, seen evil. We can also trust that God to make us glad. Not only can we be satisfied, we can trust God to make us glad. Now, notice this, even in the middle of contact, uh, conflict and affliction, you know, just because you're hurting, you don't have to be grumpy about it. I know that's a foreign concept to a lot of people, but just because you're hurting doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. What makes the difference when my thoughts and hearts and intents on God? I don't have to think about how bad I hurt, whether it's physical or internal pain. I can still enjoy the day that God's given me even if I'm hurting. I understand that for a lot of people, that's a foreign concept. They don't understand how one could be separate from the other, but it can when you put your mind upon him. Now, again, can someone enjoy life in their 80s when they're crippled up with arthritis? Yes. You could still have a life worth living. Can you have a life worth living even with Alzheimer's or some timers? Part timers? Yes. We can. We can trust God to keep us glad. Notice, if you don't mind, one more thing. Verse number 16 and 17. Let thy work appear to thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, The work of our hands establish thou it. We can also trust that God to establish our work. None of us want to give our lives to something that will not matter. We can trust that if we use our days wisely for the Lord, that the work that we have will last. That the people that we influence will continue on. That the labor that we have will not be wasted and in vain. We can trust God that the labor that we have, the work that we have, can be established and will carry on. Everyone wants to live a legacy. I don't know anyone who wants to be an asterisk in a history book, meaning that, well, he existed, that was it. Every one of us wants to have some sort of impact on people around us, want to have some sort of influence. We, you know, even if it's just some little girl who said, when I was a little girl, they smiled and they helped me out. Now that I'm big, I want to be a good person because of them. That's an impactful thing. None of us want to go and people said, who are they? I mean, we want someone to show up at our funeral. Someone to say something good. Someone to say that they mattered in their life. Well, we're thankful that we could trust God and that the work that we had mattered. And can be established and will go on. So teach us to number our days. That we may apply our hearts to wisdom. It is not how long you live that matters as much as what you do with the days within it. And we could take each day and trust God with each day that God can help us, can satisfy us, make us make glad to make that day matter and count and that we could string enough days together that the time that we have left is a life worth living because of what we do with each day, trusting God with it. So how were your days? You can't do anything about the yesterdays. But what you can do is say, from this day forward, I'm going to make my days count. From this day forward, I'm going to apply my heart to wisdom. From this day forward, I'm going to do what I can not to waste a single moment, to waste a single day, that I'm going to make them all count for eternity. With God, trusting him by faith and letting God do it, I can make the days that I have matter for eternity and matter on this earth. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time